Good morning, St. Andrews. Congratulations on making it this far in the service. Anytime you go through a service like we've done this morning, one of the things that you're doing is a countercultural act. Anytime we authentically pursue Jesus and worshiping Jesus, that cuts against the grain of our culture that competes so hard against us um, from authentically coming and meeting with God and communing with God. So well done that you've made it this far in the service, and I pray that it was a blessing to you as you were praying and as you were meeting with God and hearing scripture and you were singing. All of those things are designed to bring you into connection with God. Now, the reality is that we understand this competition because we spend a lot of our week focused on different things. We focus on how the world is affecting us personally. We think about ourselves, our problems, our burdens, the relationships that we have that are not the way that we want them to be. We think about an election coming up. We think about the pandemic that we are in and we wonder ultimately how it will affect our lives. And we live in a very individualistic culture, one that says, think about yourself. We turn on the ads on TV and they say to us, if you would just do this diet for $15.99, then you could look just like me, all cut up with the perfect abs. Or are you heart sick over your baldness? then all you need to do is get these miracle plugs, and I promise all of that sadness will go away. Now, those are pretty obvious ads that we probably are not too tricked by, but this self-focus definitely can make its way into the church. In fact, the church at times is guilty of catering to self-focus. We say, are you feeling a little depressed? Come to church and we will cheer you up. Do you have business struggles? Here are the five biblical steps to helping you with your finances. Do you need some friends in your age range so that you can commiserate? Well, here is this group in this age demographic so you don't have to interact with somebody who is a little bit older or a little younger than you, and you can be fully understood. And we start going in our minds, okay, I'm coming to church because I have this problem, and the guru is going to come and teach me how I can do the next five steps in my life in order to get to where I need to be in life. But there's something missing with that formula. The missing piece is God. And there's a lot of other places that we can go to get these things that we need. There's best-selling authors and therapists and the YMCA, and they all serve to provide these external needs. But there's one thing that the church 
needs to be expert on, that Christians need to be expert on, and that is knowing God. That's why I'm here, and I find that to be the main purpose of our teaching here this morning, and I pray that as we go through all of these experiences and we bring all of these experiences to whatever uh, we've come to at this point in feelings of anxiety or pressure or frustration in our week, that now through the reading of Scripture that we would get the instruction that God wants for us to clear the way for something new to be brought forward in our lives. So will you pray with me and then we'll read the scripture this morning. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would come with clarity, that you would come to um, speak to us, to lift burdens, Lord, to free people from the chains of oppression that bind them down and keep them in slavery and sin, Lord, and Instead, would you come with power to break those chains? Lord, would you uh, teach us through witness, um, through Paul's witness in this um, letter in the, uh, Philippian, to the Philippians, Lord, that you would just uh, show us through his example how we can live a life that is at its very core dedicated to knowing you and nothing else. In your precious and the holy name, we pray. Amen. Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 1, says this. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same thing to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have such reasons for confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the all-surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. But the righteousness that comes by faith I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. This section of scripture is really broken down into three portions. The first is a warning. 
The second is a testimony, and the third is the goal. This morning, our main focus is going to be on Jesus as the goal. But how do we get there? Well, let's see if we can learn something from the warning that Paul gives in chapter 3 of Philippians. He has some pretty harsh words and doesn't actually name the group he's talking about, but if you caught it at the beginning of this uh, chapter, he's talking about evil and dogs. And he's saying, do not trust these mutilators of the flesh. He's speaking of a specific group called the Judaizers that would come after he preaches his gospel that you are saved by faith. And then they would come in and they would say, it's not just that you are saved by faith in Jesus Christ and his grace, but also you need to get circumcised and you need to follow the Old Testament laws. Could you imagine if somebody came in right after I preached and then they came in and decided to say whatever additional comments that they wanted to say in order to add to the word? Well, maybe that happened at lunch for you as you have your conversations. Maybe you don't even talk about what's going on with the sermon But in the parable of the sower, Jesus gives us examples of how this may actually affect us no matter how the word of God is preached. If you remember in that parable, there's a number of different ways that are identified as ways in which when we hear the word of God, that we can lose the benefit of what God would want to do through his word because we are not the soil that can receive that word. Jesus warns that when the word of God goes out, that it can go out onto soil that can be snatched up by birds. And later he explains to his disciples that those birds represent the lies of Satan. Ever notice that before and after church, there's bound to be a conflict in your house. It's like guaranteed that when you get up and you're trying to get to church with your family, like that is right time for getting into a fight. Not exactly making you the type of soil that you need to be. Or after church, maybe you've had these moments of great connection with God, but now you're tired, you need a nap, you actually got to get into the real world and deal with whatever's coming your way next. And you you kind of let whatever was taught slip away even as you are going through the parking lot, getting back to the home, trying to figure out what you get for lunch. All of a sudden, all of that wonderful time at church sort of is floating away out of your mind and you miss maybe what God wants to do because Jesus in this parable is saying that if, if Satan doesn't come and lie to you about you know, how this word doesn't really apply to your life or how God really can't intercede in whatever problem you're bringing to um, fruition at this point in your, in your world, that what will happen is that there will be other forces that can come in to snatch things away. You could have shallow roots um, that 
that the seed can go out, but that seed will never go deep into the ground because you have prized anonymity over anything else. And so you come to church, but it's kind of a check-in, check-out, compartmentalized style of church, and you never really get too connected to the people at church just in case you need to move on down the road somewhere else. Well, you can do that for a little while, but if you keep doing that, what you discover is that when difficult situations come, like pandemics, then you have no roots that fortify you through the struggles of your life. And Jesus says that also there is the type of seed that can grow amongst thorns, and he explains to his disciples that those, those plants will get choked out by the thorns because the faith and the joy of knowing God is intertwined with either anxiety and fear and worries about the world. So we keep these uh, parts of us that have not actually had hope imported into them, the love of God imported into them, but we also have other parts of us that are open to what God might say. And so we, we pursue both of those things kind of in conflict with one another, but there may be at times where now the thorns are coming to choke out whatever was growing in you because the waves of anxiety are just too significant in your life and things are just too hard. And so the promises of God wither away for the sake of the difficulties of the world. Or it says that you can grow alongside your faith, which is calling you to countercultural servanthood and love and compassion. And that seems good in the church, and maybe we can volunteer in some places, but really there's this other piece of us that thinks also we need to pursue wealth and that we need to get high on the ladder and the rungs of life. And, and so we spend a lot of time trying to make money, and we justify that by saying, well, I can pay somebody else to kind of do the ministry work, but then we miss out on the word that God would have for us in our world in, in, in the fullness of the wholeness of what God would want to do with his word. That isn't just applicable to paying for somebody else to do the work of the kingdom of God, but actually comes and says, no, Jesus wants a relationship with you. Wants to use you. And so the things of the world come and choke it out. But it says that if you can make it through all of those challenges and barriers to letting the word of God sink in, that if you are willing to pursue the things of God and say, you know what, I'm letting all of those other things go for the sake of becoming good soil for the word of God, then it says that you will grow exponential fruit. Fruit that will last, fruit that will endure, fruit that may carry on your spiritual lineage long beyond when you even live on this earth into your children and their children and their children, whether biological or spiritual, as you pass on this beautiful fruit of the kingdom of God, of the word of God that's taken root in you and born good fruit. And so Paul warns, he says, do not let false teachers 
lies. Do not let anything get in the way. Worries of the world. Do not let anything get in the way. Affluence and, and money. Do not let anything get in the way. This is a warning. Do not let anything, the stresses of the world, the difficulties of the world, your desire to only be known so much because you're afraid if you really are known that nobody will love you and they'll walk away. Afraid that you might have to deal with people that you don't get along with or understand why they make the decisions they make. And he says, if you let those things creep in, what you will miss out on is the intimacy of Jesus Christ. And he says, I know this more than anyone else when it comes to the form of works righteousness that is really being used to distract the people of the church of Philippi. And then he goes on to start bragging, it seems like, but really it's not a brag at all. He starts to say, he had a talk about this incredible testimony of his life. He starts to say that he is the Hebrew of Hebrews. That he is the one who has pursued what the Judaizers say is the most important thing that you could possibly pursue. That he's been so zealous for the law that he's actually been willing to persecute Christians. That he is from the tribe of Benjamin, which is the big tribe in the house of Israel, the big powerful religious group that he was baptized on the eighth day because he has good godly parents that raised him in this form of religion and faith. And he's actually a Pharisee who knew the Bible backwards and forwards. And so he, on his resume, had everything that the Judaizers were saying that the people of God needed in order to earn their salvation alongside knowing Jesus. And he says, this is my testimony to you, that I have climbed that ladder all the way to the top. And what I discovered at the top of this ladder was that there was nothing of value. In fact, he uses some pretty harsh words to say that everything on his resume, everything that he thought at one time would earn him his way into favor with God, all of those good things that he thought he was doing are actually rubbish compared to knowing Jesus Christ. And he says, he doesn't just want to know about Jesus with head knowledge. He wants to know the person of Jesus. And Paul is convinced that when we know the person of Jesus, that we too will consider everything that we thought we had gained as a loss compared to the all-surpassing knowledge of knowing Jesus Christ. And that he is worthy of all of our heart and mind and soul. And that what we will discover in him will fill us more than those things that the Judaizers thought. 
could earn them the favor of God. More than any external thing, what Paul cares about more is our internal relationship with Jesus and making sure that the church understands this is our primary focus. What a better time than now as we take inventory of our lives, as we hit the pause button and we say, where have I gotten this? Where have I fallen short? The world is being mixed up and turned upside down. What a perfect time to recalibrate and say, you know what? I want the real thing. I want to know not only the goodies that God can give me, but I want to know the fellowship of the suffering of Jesus Christ so that I might know the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, the real thing is in short supply these days. We live in a virtual world. (laughs) One example of that is my uh, son got taken to a pumpkin farm called Tanaka Farms this past week, and my wife tells a story of how when he gets to the farm, he says, oh, I've seen one of these things on TV before. You know, and now he gets to actually be at a real thing called a farm. Or the other day, I was at the beach, and I saw a guy who was a little out of shape, and he had a remote control surfer about this big surfing in the water, and all I could think was, Do not just let this remote control surfer surf on this wave. The real thing is so much better. The real thing is so much better, church. A.W. Tozer puts the goal that Paul says he's striving for, that he's giving his whole life to, and he says the evil habit of seeking God and effectively prevents us from finding God in full revelation. Meaning that when we come with God and the other things that we have on our mind, and not just God alone, it prevents us from knowing who God is and what he wants from us. In the end lies our great woe. If we omit the end, we shall soon find God. And in him we shall find that for which we have all our lives been secretly longing. You see, even the fruits of Christianity can be distracting. We look at people who know God intimately and we see the fruits of their life and we say, man, I want to see a miracle. Wouldn't it be cool if I saw a miracle? You see, but what we miss is that actually the miracle isn't the point. And that way of thinking about miracles is what what actually Satan tempted Jesus with in the wilderness. Instead, the point is to cultivate a relationship with Jesus where you receive the compassion of God. And it so fills you with compassion that you want to extend that compassion out into the world. And when you see somebody sick or suffering or in trouble, 
that you can't help but have compassion on them and desire for their healing because God has given you his heart that desires for the healing of every person in every possible way, in physical ways, emotional ways. And so it's through intimacy with God and the pursuit of God that the fruit will come, but we can't praise the fruit. We need to go to the source of the fruit. You see, I want you to find purpose and meaning for your life. I want you to know how to live a life of integrity and make your work life a place where you have integrity uh, that comes from biblical principles. I want you, if you're feeling low, to understand that God wants to raise you up and give you joy. But the reality is, is that No matter what happens, I want you to know God. I want you to know God and know that it is enough for every season of your life. Matthew 13, starting at verse 45, says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of a fine pearl. When he found one, very precious pearl, he went away and sold everything he had, and he bought it. Church, would you taste and see that the Lord is good? May you know that Jesus is enough. He is the goal worth striving for. Everything else will fall at his knees, at his feet. Everything one day will bend the knee to the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Everything one day will pass away that is not of significance, and all that will be left is his kingdom and his rule, and his reign, and all those who want to be a part of it. And so may we stake our lives on this sacred truth we find in the text. And my prayer is is that as you leave this place, that no lie from the evil one could steal that truth from your heart. And that you would go deep in your relationship with Jesus. It will fortify you. And that you wouldn't let worry or fear or finances get in the way of you bearing fruit for the kingdom of God. In this season where we need to see fruit more than ever. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, come, come and send your spirit into everyone who's watching, Lord. That they might come to bear good fruit in your name, Lord. Fruit of gentleness fruit of holiness, fruit of righteousness, Lord, fruit of peace, fruit of patience, fruit of your goodness, Lord, so that the world will come and taste and see that you are good through us and come to know you for all of eternity. In your precious and holy name we pray, amen.